to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Um, I'm gonna, we're going to be uh, talking about Romans chapter 9. I'm going to give an overview of Romans chapter 9. We'll go into Romans chapter 10 a little bit today. And then we'll take a break for a couple of months actually. until we, And we'll finish Romans. I promise we'll, we'll finish Romans sometime. I just love Romans. And I'm going to be honest with you. I, I was going through this on during first service. And man, I could stop right there and not even finish my message today because there's so much in there. Now, um, a commentator once said that uh, he wrote in his commentary, he says, Romans is full of problems. Romans chapter 9, verse 11, that's what he's talking about. He says, many have given, it, um, given up as a bad job leaving Romans as a book of eight chapters at the beginning, four chapters of application at the end, and three of puzzle in the middle. And that's where we're at, Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11. In fact, Romans chapter 9, um, there's some group of, of, of Christianity that's taken parts of Romans chapter 9 and made a doctrine out of it, which I will say is completely wrong. They have used chapter 9 as saying that God elects people to be saved. That means that um, um, Lance is going to be saved, but his wife is going to be damned. Probably it's the opposite, right? Anyway, um, <laughs> probably so, right? All of us. Anyway, but um, God, that God elects people, that they don't really have a free will. That you're, you, the reason you're saved is because God elects you and everybody else is going to be damned, so you forget about it. But that we, we don't see that in chapter 9 at all. In fact, chapter 9 is not about salvation. Chapter 9 is about Israel. And, uh, and if you really look at it, it's not about that at all. In fact, all throughout the, the Word, it really tells us whosoever wills can be saved, right? Amen? Aren't you glad about that? Amen? And so, um, so let, I'm going to go through chapter 9 real quickly. If you want my notes, because I'm going to go quick, because I don't have a lot of time, uh, just email me. I'll send you my full notes, and you can go right through it. But uh, Romans chapter 9 is very important for us to understand, and I'll show you why, especially at the beginning and going through chapter 10, what does it really mean for us? So Romans chapter 9 is all about Israel. So Paul begins, it's like what we talked about last week from verses 1 through 5. Paul is sad about Israel's rejection of Jesus. This is all about that. The rejection of Jesus. And we'll now explain why it's happening, even though God promised, has a promise for Israel that God's chosen people, right? And that there's a glorious future. And so what's happening here now, that they have, they have um, rejected Jesus. And so verse 6, it starts out with this. That he starts out explaining that Israel, verse 6 through, uh, verse six through 13, they start out explaining how Israel was chosen by grace and not by merit. So Israel wasn't chosen because they were a specific people. Just God just chose them by His mercy and by His grace. And so Jacob's descendants, uh, Paul begins to talk about, were chosen over Esau's descendants as a prophecy. Where Paul referenced the prophecy, he says, Two nations are in your womb, the older will serve the younger. And so it's all by grace. It wasn't because he liked these people better than the other people. It was just a sovereign grace that was upon them. It wasn't because they were following him. It wasn't because they were doing anything um, special. That it, was, it was the grace of God that he chose these people. He chose Jacob, which was his name was, ended up being Israel, over Esau's. Now, now, Jacob wasn't perfect. How many of you guys remember that? Jacob didn't do things completely right. He lied to get it, right? But it was by the grace of God. Aren't you glad 
that God doesn't choose you because of what you can do, you know, that, that he receive, you receive salvation because of his grace, okay? Then in verse 14, Paul says this, is that unjust? And of course he says no, because, and he quotes this, he says, we, he will have mercy on whom he has mercy. Why does Paul bring this up? Because this is what the Lord told Moses after Israel created the calf. Remember that golden calf they created? And God was going to wipe out Israel from the face of the earth. They all ripe off that nation, the people he just saved. They just saw all this miraculous stuff going on. Moses goes away up to the mountain to hang out with God and comes back and they build a calf, a golden calf to worship. And so because of Moses' intercession... God didn't wipe them off the face of the earth. God had mercy. Israel had failed its holy calling five minutes in a way after it was commissioned at Sinai, yet the Lord gave him mercy for the sake of his purposes. Now, you've got to understand that. God's purposes will happen no matter what. It may not happen in your life, but overall, he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. He will sit on his throne. It doesn't matter who is voted in in this country. It doesn't matter if the United States goes to hell in a handbasket. Let me tell you something. God is on the throne. It doesn't matter. In fact, let me just say this. The United States is not even in the Bible. So I don't know what happens to the United States. You don't have to. That's what I'm saying. You don't have to worry. You just have to follow God, right? You just choose to follow the Lord. And he's going he's gonna to do whatever he's going to do because he's gonna, he's gonna, his will is ultimately going to come to pass. But I want to be a part of that will, right? Amen. I want his will to come to pass in my life. And so Paul moves on and he brings up Pharaoh. And he says, whom God hardened as a judgment for his decision to refuse, they refused to obey God's command. Why? Because God used Pharaoh's disobedience to glorify himself through the miraculous exodus. You know, you know he's going to use that. He, you know, God will use a believer. He'll use a sinner. And he used, I can say this, a jackass, right? <laughs> now, I'm not talking about you. I'm, that's King James Version. He used the donkey, right? I mean, he can use... Don't look at me like that. It's King James Version. Look it up. But God can use whoever he needs to use, and he will, to help his purposes come along, right? And he does that all the time. And so Pharaoh was one of them. Pharaoh, but his heart could have been used by God. He could have obeyed, but he didn't. But God still used him to bring about a great miraculous miracle in the exodus of his people, and he got glory for it. But it says that God hardened his heart. Have you ever wondered what hardened, how God hardened someone's heart? You ever understand that? You know, the root meaning in the Hebrew of hardened is the same root word for strengthening. So God, God hardens people's heart by strengthening the resolve that they have already formed in their heart. So, for example, six times in scriptures that it says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. But seven times before that, it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. He had enough opportunity to repent. He had enough opportunity to let my people go, but he didn't. And every time he hardened his heart out of disobedience. You know what? Listen, if you don't think disobedience doesn't do something to you, it does. It can harden your heart over time. And so the Lord took, looked at his actions 
And he's already been doing this, and he, and he, and he hardened his heart. You know, in, in, in centuries before that, God hardened the Canaanites' heart in Judges 11. He had tolerated their, their, their freely chosen wickedness over and over, and they had and hardened toward him. You've got to understand that the love of God wants everybody. He's trying to draw everybody towards himself. But there's a point where it becomes hopeless. And at that point, God's strategy changes. Instead of, and he had opportunity. Pharaoh had opportunity after opportunity to repent, right? He didn't have to go through the plagues. He didn't have to go through those things. He didn't have to, have to deal with that. He didn't have to lose every firstborn child. He didn't have to do that. But because of his hardened heart, God's, God had to change his strategy in a sense because he would not repent. He gave him a, an opportunity to repent. He gave him an opportunity to let my people go, but he didn't do it. And he not only lost the firstborn child, he lost every gold and every silver in that place. Everything that was worth money went with the Israelites as they, they exited out of Egypt. He didn't have to go through that. So at that point, God's strategy changed from trying to change them to using them, even in their wickedness, for his own purposes. And that's what happened with Pharaoh. See, God justly responds to people's wickedness by strengthening the resolve against him. So in every instance in Scripture, when God speaks of hardening someone's heart, it is an act of judgment in response to the decisions that they have already made. They have already done it, like Pharaoh had, had hardened their heart to the Lord where it was no use. God knows everything. It was, it was just, it was right. There was no hope, but God still would use them to bring about his purposes on this earth. See, when God decides to harden someone's heart, we can be assured that, that God wishes it, it, it didn't have to go that way. He doesn't want to do that. So I want you to understand that, that God is not choosing people to harden their hearts. They've already done it there, and it's out of that judgment of their hardened heart that God uses them. So let me tell you something. God can use any, anybody that he wants, and that's what Paul is basically saying here. And it's, and it's all about Israel, because he's going back in there. Then verse 19, look what he goes into. In fact, let me read that. Verse 19, he says, One of you will say to me, talking about the Jewish people, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who has formed it, Why do you make me like this? Does the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and for some for common use? So, so Paul's saying, he says, you guys are going to ask me, why does God still blame us, the Jews? And this is where Paul brings up the potter. And he's actually referencing Jeremiah 18. And this is where God tells Jeremiah that Israel is like a lump of clay that resists uh, the potter, that resists the will of the potter. So the potter has the right to refashion that lump which is a, for an appropriate use for his plan. He also says that if the nation would repent, he would relent from his plan disaster. So that lump of clay and what's common use, what he's talking about common use, is Israel. And Israel has rejected Jesus. So God is still using Israel, even in their rejection, to bless other people, and you'll see here, go on in verse 22. The objects of, of his wrath, born with great patience, that's the Jews. 
And who will be judged harshly very quickly here in A.D. 70. You know what happened in A.D. 70? Rome came in, the Roman army, and completely destroyed Jerusalem. And this is what happened to the Jewish people. God used their rejection of Jesus to bless the nations. Because what happened was, not only did unbelieving Jews get scattered through the known world, because they were scattered everywhere, and that, they didn't return to, to, till the 1940s, right? In the recreation of Israel. So they were scattered everywhere, but not only unbelieving Jews were scattered, but believing Jews were scattered. And guess what those believing Jews did? They changed the world. They turned the world upside down. Amen? See, God's purpose is going to happen. Now, how much greater would have been that the Jews would have, would have received the Lord, would have done it? How much greater would have been for the world? I mean, it would have been. But God's still purposes still prevailed, and God's will, I mean, and eventually, in, in a few hundred years, guess what happened? Rome became a Christian nation. And God's, God's plan prevailed. God's scattering them prevailed and bringing the gospel to all the Gentiles. You know, Paul, Paul then finishes the chapter. And this is where we're going to get to know what he's really talking about here. And, and it relates a lot to us. And we can relate to what's going on with the, even the Jews. So he finishes the chapter by talking about some Old Testament prophecies about the Gentiles coming to faith. And he summarizes by this. He says this. What shall we say then? So that means, what does this all mean? What does this all mean in chapter 9? That the Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. In verse 31, But the people of Israel who pursue the law as a way to righteousness have not attained their goal. So this is what's happening. The Israel people have been for thousands of, a, thousand, a couple thousand years have been going after God in their own works, putting faith in the law. They were thinking that the law would provide them righteousness, and he says it can't attain it. But here the Gentiles, who never searched for it, receive a, the grace of God. They receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is what happens. They receive it by faith, and they obtain righteousness. So this is what's happened. This was the problem with Israel. Israel couldn't move from the faith in their works to the faith in righteousness. Now this is what the problem with us today. And I, and I, I feel probably every single one of us in some way have either had issues or are still dealing with issues in a major way or a little bit, but you're dealing with some of this. See, you had nothing to do to come to Christ except to accept the free gift of, of, of Jesus. Nothing. But a lot of times we revert back to a religious state in a sense where we think, well, if I do good, if I read my Bible, if I give, if I serve, and I help the poor, I'm doing pretty good. And Jesus says, your righteousness is like filthy rags. Right? It's not about that. Now, do we do good works? Now, yeah, but it's not because of trying to become someone. It's because I already am someone because of Jesus, right? So you receive that. And see, the, the, the nation of Israel, they could not get past that point. Now, it's, it's very important you understand this because there's a verse, a couple of verses in Matthew chapter 7 Jesus talks about. That there will be many in those days that will say, Lord, Lord, have I not cast out demons in your name? Have I not done this and this and this? 
have, remember, have I not been this and this? And what Jesus says, you workers of iniquity. Wow. Depart from me, because why? You never knew me. It's a very scary verse. It can be, unless you put your faith in Jesus. See, and the thing about it is, you, uh, I'm telling you, church, we need to lose control. Right? We just need to lose control. You can't be good enough, so stop it. Stop trying. Receive it by faith. Faith is, is, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You may not see it. See, the Israelites had to see their righteousness. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I just see Him. And He is my righteousness. Right? But, 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 Sean, but, Sean, no, no, get your butts and throw them away. The only use for your butt is to sit on it. Right? It's because he's made a way for us. And it's hard to get that in our, in our thinking because we think we have to be good. Now look at, look at chapter 10, verse 1. Look what Paul goes into. Because he's, he's on a roll here, and he'll continue, by the way. Because he's passionate about his brothers getting out of this. He spent the first eight chapters telling us over and over again, righteousness is by faith in Jesus. So look at this. He says, brothers and sisters, verse 1, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer for, for God, to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. What does that mean? He's saying these Israelites, they, they love God. They're, they are passionate for and about God, but they have no regard for the truth. What's the truth? Jesus. They have no regard for the truth of Jesus Christ. You know, we use our religions and our doctrines to umbrella God into what we want Him to be. And what we think He is. But Paul said in, in, in chapter 9, verse 33, he says that there is a laid in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and fall, and that stone is Jesus Christ. See, if you remove Jesus from His deity and worship God without regard to Him, your worship is in vain. It's all about Jesus. Your worship can't be in what you do. It's all in who He is. In fact, it is through Him. In fact, you can't even speak to God on your own. You speak through Jesus, who is the high priest. Amen? It's because of what He has done. It's not based on anything else. It's based on the truth upon knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it's an incredible reality to understand, but also to live out. See, Jesus talked about this in John chapter 4. Verse 22 through 24. When he comes up to this well and that Samaritan woman was at the well. Remember that? And she talks, about him, talks to him about an argument that the Jews and the Samaritans have about worshiping in Jerusalem. And Jesus comes to her and he says to her, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. But we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming... And has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. So he plainly tells her that you've got to worship in spirit and in truth. He tells her that you don't know the truth. You don't know me. The truth is Jesus. 
And this only happens through Jesus. You can only worship through Jesus. See, God is spirit, and to communicate him on a spiritual level, level, you must be born again. Born not naturally, but supernaturally from above, and you must go through him. You know, the world is okay with religion. You know that. In fact, it's increasingly people, they love religion. They're looking for some spiritual thing. I just even saw on a news report that even the, the, the number of witches is growing. People want spirituality. People, in fact, if you talk to witches, you've talked to anybody in Wiccan, they're, they're, they'll, talk, they'll talk to you about God. But not much about Jesus. See, the world is okay with that. Because they want you to think that all roads lead to heaven. It's acceptable to talk about Buddha. It's acceptable to talk about Allah. But to mention the name of Jesus, you're going to start a fight. Why? Because there's power in that name. Peter said in Acts 4.12, he says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given to men by which men can be saved. So as long as we can be deceived looking outside of Jesus for salvation and the meaning of life, there's no threat to the world. But once you start mentioning Jesus, there's threat to their, their religion, their junk. In fact, I'm going to be honest with you. This message right here, causes people who are born again to move around their seats a little bit because we want to go back to works, right? Because, you know, works are so easy, isn't it? I can see it. I'm helping the poor. I worked, I worked, I worked at the storehouse today. I helped the poor. Pat myself on the back. That's why you're righteous of filthy rags. You can't get it. You can't do it. Paul says, I can testify about the Israelites. They are zealous for God, and they were. They would die for him. They would come against, and they did, a Roman army so much so, so superior to them, they got slaughtered. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. Jesus is the vital piece of information that we need. He did everything. He did everything. God's word is full of the person of Jesus and we need to come to him and receive all that he has, his redemption, everything that he's provided for, everything that he's done. And we do that by faith in Jesus. And that's the knowledge that Paul wanted them to have. So you've got to understand something. And this is what religion does. Our religion makes us look pretty good to everybody else in a sinful world, right? It looks pretty good. Self-righteousness looks good. Look at, verse, look, look at verse 3. Verse 3 of Romans chapter 10. He says, Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. It's a very powerful thing about submitting to God's righteousness. You know why? You know why they didn't? Because they looked good in their own righteousness. God's righteousness and our righteousness are polar opposites. Apart from Christ, our right standing with God is absolutely impossible. It was Isaiah who said that the righteous acts are like filthy rags in Isaiah 64, 6. Our self-righteousness looks great on the outside, doesn't it? People notice it. You Facebook it. You put it on social media. You take a selfie and you feeding the poor. Right? There's no, nothing wrong with that. You can go ahead and do that. But it means nothing 
unless it's done through Jesus. It, your righteousness doesn't get you anywhere. Your righteousness looks great to this world, but you are not to be compared to this world. Who are you comparing to? God. And God is righteous. He is holy. He is just. And my righteousness compared to His righteousness, nothing compares. It doesn't even measure on, a, on anything. He is great. He is perfect in every single way. My righteousness, yeah, I look pretty good to the world. Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty right-standing guy. But to God, it's not enough. Only through Jesus. God did this. He brought the law to demonstrate to the Israelites, and they got it wrong, but to demonstrate that you are not good enough. You miss one thing of the law, and you're not good enough. And the law only purpose was to show you it's time to give up and let God come in. It was all pointing to Jesus. All Old Testament, everything is pointing to Jesus. And it was all meant for you and I to receive righteousness. That, that's why communion means so much to me. Communion means a lot to me because it, it really means... I. The, I had nothing to do with this. It was only through Jesus that I can be here. I am not good enough. I'm not capable. It is only by my faith in what Jesus has done that got me here. And that's the major truth of the Bible. That, yeah, I need to do good things. But it comes out of me resting in Jesus. See, that's why we need to give up. We need to give up on our, our junk, all, all our stuff. You can't do it. Your righteousness are filthy rags. And rest in what Jesus has done for you and I. Look, look what Galatians. Turn to Galatians real quick. I have a little bit of time. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. It says this. Curse is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified, right? Before God, because of the law. Because why? The righteous will live by faith. What's faith? It's trust. It's trust. God knew it was impossible to fulfill the law. This, is, this comes about by faith in what he's done for me. And he goes on. He answers the question that I'm sure everybody... On our, on mine, and, he, and Galatians 3.19. He says, what then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgression until the seed, talking about Jesus, to whom the promise referred had come. Romans says it this way in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. He says, no one will be able to be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, that through the law we have become conscious of sin. And in Galatians 3 24, the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. See, the amazing thing about falling upon the mercy of God, trusting and having faith in Jesus, accepting the message of grace, by, and by doing so, this is what happens. We submit to God's righteousness. You know what it means? If I submit to God's righteousness, I rest in His righteousness. And when I rest in His righteousness, 
I am free. And I'm free to do things for Him. See, good works are important, and yeah, but, but it's by through faith in Jesus. That I, I, I feed the poor because, not because of trying to be somebody. I feed the poor because I am somebody. I, I do these things because I am somebody. Who am I? I am Jesus. I have died. Sean Epking has died. It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Amen? And because I do these things, I give. Not because I want, to ple- I, I want to make God happy and like me more. I give because that's what Jesus does. And that's who I am. I'm in Him. In Him I live and move and have my being. Right? I obey Him. I'm, I'm part of Him. I do things out of Him. It's out of love. It's not because I'm trying to get somewhere. Or trying to make someone happy. Or trying to impress anybody. That's what religion will do. But I give because it's what Jesus does, right? And I live in Him. The good news today is we don't have to rely on what we do to please God. He is pleased with us on the basis of this alone, faith in Jesus. Amen? Do you believe that? Because, you know, this is what I'm thinking, because I know this about me. It's easier said than done. I want to believe it. But I'm a fixer. I've got to fix things. And Sean doesn't know how to fix things well. But I want to make things right. God, okay, I messed up, but this is what's going to happen. I'm going to read the Bible, the whole Bible, in one day. Because, <laughs> you know, this, this is, I'm not joking. I've done that. I've tried to do that before. It doesn't work. It's impossible. Um, but that's the way we think, right? When you sin, you think... You have to do penance. Right? I was in Costa Rica one time. And a Catholic church. I love church, old church buildings. I think they're a waste of money, but I like them. Anyway. Um, so I'll go into these old church buildings in, uh, in Costa Rica. And if you've ever been to Costa Rica, you know it's um, the Catholic church pretty much controls everything. And uh, here I am in this church. And um, this woman is walking, I mean, crawling up and down the aisle from the altar to the back, to the altar to the back, to the altar to the back. Her, her knees are bleeding. And I asked him, why is she doing that? She's doing penance. I mean, I know that's an extreme. But a lot of times we, we kind of have that kind of idea, right? So when you sin and do something wrong... And I'm not, I'm not, there's no justif- justification for sin. I'm not saying that at all. Trust me. Because, what, but what happens is, is that you focus on that sin and, and you feel shame. See, that's what religion does. That's what the Israelites are going through. And they feel like, oh, I have to do this and this and this, and this makes me better. But that's foolish, and it's a cycle that you do over and over 
and over again and it just doesn't work. And I'm telling you today, when you sin, rest in your, your salvation. Now, you don't hear that much, do you? Yeah, do, do I need to repent? Yeah, of course. It, repentance just means a change of heart, change of mind. Stop doing it. Make a change. But there's nothing you can say, nothing you can do to make you righteous except to receive what Jesus has already done. And see, and this is what happens. When you begin to rest in that righteousness, righteousness leads you, not religion, not self-righteousness. Self-righteousness will keep you in a cycle of sin and shame. Faith righteousness keeps you in a cycle of love and faith. Love and faith. Love and faith. And that's what changes you. Amen? Not because you're good enough, because He's good enough. Not because you have the power to change. You have no power to change. He does. And when you're focusing on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, guess what happens? He leads you into righteous things. So if I'm focusing on Jesus, I don't have to make myself do good works. I do good works because that's who I am. Because I'm following Jesus. I don't have to force myself to tithe and give. Why? Because I do that because it's who I am. It's what Jesus does and that's who I am, so I do that. This is what righteous people do, right? We live righteously. And as I continue to walk my life, man, I don't, I don't have to to focus on my sin. I focus on Jesus and he leads me out because sin has no power over me. Over the man or woman of God who has faith in Jesus. Amen? And there's no shame. That's why you can say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? Amen? There's freedom in that. Amen? Amen.